Streaming audio is made possible by Hungry Harvest, delivering farm-fresh produce and grocery staples to your door. Every delivery allows you to support local donations that fight hunger in the community. Learn more at HungryHarvest.net. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, there's, there's just, there's a difference between those two. You know, one of them is super superficial emotions and the other is, you know, it's like you're singing something because your life depends on it. This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. and chivalry I hold the door open and let her pass through she says thanks to me in a British accent and I try to answer her in the same voice she laughs at me says what was that supposed to be I say I'm sorry I'm from a different part of the country she says come on baby try again Saskatchewan native Andy Schaaf's understated, gentle, but expertly composed pop songs are a rare breed in that they're instantly appealing, but the appeal only increases with each subsequent listen. Although only in his early 30s, Schaaf's songwriting gives the impression of being the product of many decades of focused craftsmanship, with each song a fully and often perfectly realized gem containing exactly what it needs and not one note or word more. Since signing to esteemed indie label Anti in 2015, Schaff has released three albums to critical acclaim, including glowing accolades from NPR, The Washington Post, and The Guardian. The first song Schaff chose as being formative for him was Needle in the Hay by Elliot Smith. Some friend trying to cash some check 
exact in time That's what you've come to expect Needle in the hay Needle in the hay Needle in the hay Needle in the hay First one is probably... Elliot Smith, Needle in the Hay, who was uh, famously, I guess, in that movie, Royal Tenenbaums, which was, was uh, I think that came out maybe when I was in grade 10 or grade 11, but um, I first saw it when I was in grade 11, and I thought it was weird. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really exposed to many things like that in my growing up. I grew up, I don't know, I would say kind of sheltered. Um, so that song was, <clears throat> it was a, it was a big song for a lot of people in my high school. And I remember there was kind of a talent show coming up and I was into like emo music and just getting started and writing songs and being interested in music in general. So it was a lot of, you know, I was writing acoustic music and stuff and people were listening to Dashboard and those kind of things and that was acoustic music. And then this song came along and this, uh, this talent show and someone said, you should learn this song, Needle in the Hay. So I learned it and I was kind of getting into Elliot Smith um, but I was more into the dashboard things and learning this song realizing you know when you listen to it it's it's so simple but really easy to play but it's not what anyone else seems to do on on acoustic guitar um, how about the emotional component of the song what was it I assume there was something to that that attracted you as well. Um, that and it's funny. I just rewatched that movie for the first time in a long time, and uh, it's it's very powerful in that way. So I can relate completely. Um, do you remember the emotional component of it that it made you interested in the song? Having all that emo stuff, and you know, it's very it's intense emotionally all that dashboard stuff. I don't know if you remember the documentary where he's singing and he starts crying. Hopefully you don't. <laughs> but uh, there's, you know, it's kind of the same. You listen to that stuff and it's really emotional, obviously. It's emo music. Um, but it's just such different emotion. So it's listening to a, uh, Elliot Smith, you know, countered with that imagery from that movie. It's like, you know, it's very, it's weighted emotionally. But when you take away the imagery and just listen to what he's singing and how much he obviously cares about what he's singing and, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, there's, there's just, there's a difference between those two. You know, one of them is super superficial emotions, and the other is 
you know, it's like you're singing something because your life depends on it kind of thing. So yeah, you know, when you're drawn into someone's real emotions versus what, you know, someone's emotions based on whining, <laughs> I guess. It was, uh, yeah, it's very powerful. It's a really powerful song when you actually dive into what he's singing about. How did the actual uh, performance go at the talent show? Uh, it went well. And I don't know if anyone in my Christian high school realized that it was a song about heroin addict, so that went well. <laughs> The second song Schaff chose as essential to his formation as an artist was Wishful Thinking by Wilco. had a huge Elliot Smith phase in high school and after high school. And after high school, I was playing in kind of, it was like a pop punk band. I was the drummer and the guitar player was into cooler music than me. And he was really into Wilco and <clears throat> he, uh, introduced me to Wilco with the I'm Trying to Break Your Heart movie, which is amazing. And eventually, you know, I was obsessed with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot for a long time. 
and then I moved on to Ghost is Born, and I guess just kind of became obsessed with that song, Wishful Thinking. And for the reason, I mean, lyrically, it's beautiful, and I don't think that anyone that I was listening to at that point was really poetic. It was mostly still, you know, a combination of emo and Elliot Smith. And so when when that song came along, there was something, you know, poetically, it's like that life or that uh, those lyrics can apply to anyone's life. It doesn't matter if you're interpreting this, them the same way that Jeff Tweedy would. Um, every line kind of, you know, you can, you can apply it to yourself in some way. So that was kind of, that was really eye opening and made me sort of dive into being a little bit more abstract. And, but I think the main thing that caught me with, with this song was the, textures the recording i've always been like a you know various degrees of studio nerd i'm probably at my height of studio nerddom right now but at the time i was still recording my own stuff and really interested in sounds and, and things like that and you know i think this is one of the most gentle sounding recordings that is out there maybe I mean, there's comparable ones, but I would listen to this song just on repeat, like, how did they get the drums to sound so tiny when, you know, when I record drums, they sound huge and stupid. And so this was a song that, it's kind of one of those songs that, you know, it was formative and I tried to write it a thousand times, tried to, you know, mimic it, see, you know, where the magic lied in it. Uh, yeah, I've talked myself in a full circle. <laughs> um, tell me more where you were in your own sort of personal life at that stage. Was there a reason that it sort of, I guess it's the same question I had for the, from, the Elliot Smith song. I mean, where were you in your personal life that maybe it landed in a certain way? I mean, you've touched on that a little bit, but, um, could you go a little deeper on that? Um, in my personal life, I think the song came around when I was, I don't know, I would have been like 21, something like that. I just finished my first album probably which is darker days and an album that i'd like to forget about i think i say love about 400 times on that album which i had no idea what love was at that at that point romantic things were not my specialty um i think the i think this song just kind of opened up like a it just showed me don't you know, there's more levels to it. Things aren't things aren't as 
cut and dry as as maybe you think they are when you're 19 and 20, 21, whatever years old. Uh, you know, this is a it can strike you as a sad song, I guess. But it's a love song. The final song Schaff chose as being crucial to him was Martha, My Dear by the Beatles. fan until I was probably like 23 or 24 and I knew all the songs that were hits I didn't realize that the Beatles were actually a good band um, and I got me and my friends got really into the Beatles White Album um, and we would just sit around all the time and addict smoking cigarettes listening to uh, the White Album and this song in particular, I think I was just starting to realize that Paul McCartney is actually like a musical genius. Um, I guess I just didn't understand that beautiful pops that I was uh, paying attention to. But yeah, you know, the arrangement, the arrangement in the song is unusual. It's like horns piano the chord changes are genius the lyrical content is uplifting <laughs> I, when I was in my early 20s I was listening to all the sad music that I could get my hands on I had a big Pedro the Lion phase uh, Elliot Smith still Wilco it's a lot of it's kind of musically, I was trying to depress the hell out of everyone. But when you realize that a really uplifting pop song like Martha My Dear is like musical, you know, it's like kind of untouchable musically. Yeah, had a big, big effect on me. Made me think about arrangement a little bit more. 
made me think about maybe trying not to be such a downer all the time musically. Still trying to learn that lesson. Did it help you? Did it make you want to do to to pare down your arrangements or to actually uh, you know make them more elaborate? I think it was. I think it was a little bit of both. A little bit of paring down the arrangements, um, thinking about things. You know that song. It's full on the whole time. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't ever sound sparse. But the way that he's using instrument in certain parts, the chorus has drums in it or whatever. I guess it's the chorus. I'm trying to like the song in my head at the moment it's not it's not working but you know everything takes its turn to make the song full that was a musical lesson that i needed at that point because when finally pro tools and you can add 100 tracks over stuff i think your initial response is to do that and to, you know, if a part is lacking, add something. But also, the thing that I learned from that, that song specifically was, like, to be smart about which parts of the songs actually need something added to it. That song is more, which, which instruments do you need to take away for something to be a little bit more effective? Did that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think it actually, um, you described pretty accurately your own current stuff. I mean, I think that your choices are very thought out and deliberate and economical um, in the way that you're describing. I mean, there's not wasted movement. There's not superfluous stuff that's just there for the sake of it. Um, things have been streamlined down to just what's necessary. So clearly it had positive effect. Yeah. This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore and NPR. Look for and subscribe to all of WYPR's podcasts at wypr.org slash podcast central. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Awesome.